who grew up in Arcadia where this guy was a living legend in that community, in that Little League community, such a feared pitcher, maybe a little bit like our own whale, Jim the Wilson. whale, Jim Wilson. I don't know if, if parents and other coaches, Seinsoth was such that in Little League ball at his age, throwing so hard, so physically dominant, that coaches would just say, we're not sending our kids up <coughs> to bat against him. Please I wish, don't have him pitch. I wish they would have said that a bit about Bryce Brucker. Exactly. Because Bryce Brucker in the Lake Oswego Little League circa 1975 terrified every yeah. kid. Yes. 6'2", full beard. <laughs> Maybe not, but that's what it right. seemed like. Danny Williamson? Who, what, what was the guy's name? The, the Danny, Danny somebody or other gotten Williamson, Williams boy. It seemed like oh, we had a oh, guy yeah. that was older than he should have been and got <laughs> yeah, his way yeah. through. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Tank Jacobson for me. That was Tank. They called him Tank. <laughs> the whale, Jim Wilson, Tank Jacobson. We would, we would almost be crying yeah. watching him warm up. And the coach, Mr. Groves, Mike, it's your turn to bat. I, <laughs> I don't want to. No, you're no. right. I think every little kid had that big <laughs> right. kid. They just didn't want to go again. Apparently, uh, Bill Seinsoth, I think I said Joe, it's Bill Seinsoth, is this guy. And our author guest at 1130, who has written Bronx Epitaph about the famous speech of Lou Gehrig, will join us. He's an OSU alumnus. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. Bronx Epitaph, How Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man Speech Defined the Yankee Legend. We've got a couple of things we're going to play here, and I think we'll play them before we bring the guest on. We might even reprise them when Stephen comes on. I watched these this morning in an article I read about the speech. Yeah, great article. It is. Haven't had a chance to read the book. It's just come out. And Dave from Tumwater noticed it in the Oregon State or Alumni Magazine in print, books written by Oregon State alums. And this is one of them recently released, Mm -hmm. Bronx Epitaph, How Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man's Speech Defined the Yankee Legend. Stephen will join us. He's also written to answer your question about obscurity. Bill Seinsoth is an obscure name to most of us. Sure. John Peshork, baseball's greatest one-game wonder, is another of Stephen Wagner's books. Stephen K. Wagner, class of 75 at Oregon State. John Peshork, not Tom, who had a long and good career in the big leagues. His older brother, John, baseball's greatest one-game wonder. Played one game in the major leagues and went three for three with like three runs scored and three RBIs and never got up there again. Houston oh, Colt 45s, 1963. Well, we won't. The, the upshot of our conversation with Stephen Wagner will be the Lou yeah. Gehrig book, but because he's written these others. Did he go on to be a doctor? I'm not exactly sure. I M- didn't get that far. <laughs> he's written a book also called The Four Home Runs Club, where he breaks down everybody. I think there's 18 guys in the history of Major League Baseball that hit four homers in a game. Only 18. Wow. And he, he has. Okay, These were the circumstances surrounding all four and how they did it. So that's interesting in its own yeah. way to to baseball buffs. So the four home runs club, perfect. He's also, another book was called Game One, W-O-N, and it's a full book on Gibby's homer. He calls it the greatest home run in the history of the sport. Hmm. Gibson's home run, 
in game one. And the title of the book is Game One, W-O-N. So he's written a whole book on the Gibson Homer and everything surrounding that. So he takes, now that's not an obscure moment in time, but to write a whole book about it becomes, I'm sure, an interesting and at times delving into some obscurities and storylines. Whether we have time to get into those with Stephen Wagner, we'll see. He's a guest at 1130. I've never met him. I know nothing of his work until I sat down to prepare for him and came across Bill Seinsaw, perfect John Peshorek's life in mm-hmm, baseball, mm-hmm. the four home runs club, game one, and his latest Bronx epitaph, how Lou Gehrig's luckiest man speech defined the Yankee legend. Quick question. Do you agree that Gibson's home run was bigger than Bobby Thompson's home run. No, I would disagree. I don't think Gibson's home... I, I, I would think you've just nailed it, Johnny. The biggest, greatest home yeah. run in the history of the sport is Thompson's. Now, we'll ask Stephen Wagner, who's clearly a baseball fan, mm-hmm. why he puts Gibby's at the top, and he might simply because, well, it's the World Series. Come on! <laughs> but it was only game one. It was only game one. And they were they were stealing pitches. It was only... <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Bobby Thompson and the, that team was stealing pitches. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. I mean. give, oh, I see what you mean. And yeah. they were stealing pitches. Which we find out later. Possibly, yes. Branca's home run, I still think, is the, the shot heard around the world and the greatest home run the game has yeah. ever seen. Yeah. But Gibby's is in the conversation in the top three or four ever. But anyway, Stephen Wagner. Oregon State alumnus, freelance writer, used to write up the road when he was beginning his journalistic career out of Oregon State in Monmouth. He's written for other small papers. He's been an editor at the Oregonian. He now lives in southeast Pennsylvania. But he'll come to us today to talk to us about Bronx Epitaph. We have, and John, I'm just to finish the point, watching the speeches this morning Mm -hmm. in the article embedded within the article in something called the Gotham Press or whatever, are video versions, short clips, and we'll play them both, of the actual speech. There's no, the speech is not anywhere preserved in its entirety. It is not. You have little clips of Garrick himself on July 4th, 1939. Nor is the written version. And there's no written version available. And, And Eleanor... And Lou, according to Eleanor, Lou's wife, Eleanor Twitchell, Eleanor Twitchell Gehrig said, and it was her script that she wrote verbatim and sent to MGM when the film was being made and said, this is, she said, you can count on me. My memory for this is perfect because Lou and I talked about it the night before, and I'm not likely to forget Mm. what we wrote and what he was going to say. That's somewhat in dispute because the speech wasn't even, they weren't even sure it was going to happen. It was more of an impromptu kind of thing. Stephen Wagner will kind of take us through the particulars of what turns out to be the greatest speech. I don't think there's any question about what's the greatest home run, Gibson, Thompson. Now, the greatest speech is is, uh, Lou Gehrig, July 4th of 39. And I love the description of it, of calling it the Gettysburg Address of baseball. It's perfect. So we're going to play both clips here in a moment. But watching both of them, I can't, I can't help it. I tear up every time I yeah. hear these things. Both versions. Lou himself, which I've heard yeah. bits and pieces of. Lou himself and his voice. And then the Gary Cooper version. Hollywood took some liberties, as, as she always does, to make it a bit more 
dramatic than it actually was. Well, they took, it, out, they took out a lot of his thank yous uh, well, to it, tighten it up. Yeah, but it, it, what we play is a small version of what's in the film. It's mm-hmm. not the whole speech. But I think the Lou Gehrig clips are the only known actual clips. There was no full video recording of it. Reporters actually there covering it. Here's how one report. What did he say? What? <laughs> One United Press International reporter wrote that Garrick said this late in the speech. I'm a fellow who got a tough break. I don't believe it. I've been a lucky guy. Uh, Instead of today, I consider myself. Can you imagine that? That's like some of the paraphrases you read of the Bible. You know, you you take the King James Rod saying that's antiquated. That language was antiquated when it was written. We don't need that. But then you put it in some of the modern paraphrases, and it, it, it ain't right. It doesn't sound right. And just as I have been a lucky guy is a little <laughs> different than today, I consider myself. You know what I mean? Come well, on. Well, it's like that game you play in grade school to, to uh, show kids the point of how a story changes from the, yes, down the line. Exactly. You know, we learn that in grade school. Oh, yes, we do. Da, 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 da. It's an interesting, it's a fascinating. Like, All right, now tell us what you know. Da, da, da. It's like, that's not even close. It's fascinating, isn't it, yeah. how that process works. But the UP, poor UPS reporter on deadline, you know, okay, well, you know it's a speech. I, I can't remember <laughs> what exactly did he say. And he said something about it's tough, but he's been. he feels yeah, like he's been. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I got a tough break. I don't believe it, though. I've been a lucky guy. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Compared to... What the speech act, what he actually said. Yeah. All of this was Stephen Wagner. In the meantime, open phones, texts, and unfinished business from yesterday. Why or N, yes or no, on the forks and corks catering. Uh, you want to know the total, total question? Yes to the automatic ball strike system with robots, computers calling balls and strikes, or no? Why or N, did the A's carry it or the nays, Doc? The Yays mm-hmm. carry it 16 to 13. Ooh, a, a move by the Nays. Huge late. move. It was a it was a wipeout early. <laughs> and the nose came in. And I think that was after all of the discussion <laughs> and the debate we had about what could go wrong or how they could mm-hmm. do it. Or is it couldn't be a hybrid or all mm-hmm. of whatever we talked about. Uh, the Nays closed the gap, but 16-13. Thank yays. you for your participation. We will have other forks and corks, uh, things to contemplate along the way. In the meantime, the University Honda text line and phone lines are both open. It's an hour show today. After we visit with Stephen Wagner, there may be a little time on the back end. of If there's anything you'd like to share right now, feel free at 497-5356. I was hopeful to have a conversation with my daughter, Lydia, who attended the Orioles-Nationals game last night. She's going to be back in that part of the world for almost two weeks. She is serving on a committee for the Department of the Interior and land use issues within the United States for the Department of the Interior. And because of some of the other work she's been doing in indigenous spaces and in the work she's doing with hunters of color that we've talked about on the show, she's been noticed by some people and invited to serve on this committee, and they flew her back. So wow. they, a bunch of them went to the ball game last night, nice. seen Adley, at Nationals Park in the nation's capital. Adley went 0 for 4, but the Orioles won 1 to nothing. Adley Rutschman jerseys abounded everywhere there. And in the Beltway series, one can imagine there's not that great of a distance. I've not been to Baltimore. I've spent a day and a half in the nation's capital, mm-hmm. and you have too, and yeah. in conjunction with trips that Craig Robinson took us on. And I was grateful to be able to 
spend one day walking around trying to do as much as I could right. in one full Same day here. before a game. But I've never been to Baltimore. But Lydia's planning on getting up to uh, Orioles Park at Camden Yards at some point, too, as, as part of, if not this week, next week, and hoping to see Adley play in his home domain. But if you have anything you'd like to share about last night's baseball game, the one thing that it was kind of a nondescript game in a way, it was played out in just kind of miserable, dreary conditions. It wasn't the sharpest of games or the greatest of games. It had none of the high drama of the 13-inning win over USC and the walk-off or the high emotions and the big mm-hmm. crowds. But it served. It served the Beavers well. And when you take a look around at other Tuesday results, John, oh, it underscores that the Beavers winning 8-2. to two, Yeah. Kind of a, okay, yeah, Tuesday score 8-2 to two over Seattle U. But you don't take that for granted either based mm. on what we saw last night. No, Utah 29 to 50. I don't have it in front 14. of me. 29 to 14 over BYU. Okay, wow. Uh in that game was it 15-13? Yes. Sacramento State beating Stanford at Stanford. 15 to 13. And then Irvine scored 12 on UCLA at UCLA in a win. I think it was 12 to 3. And there was only one other normal score, quote unquote normal, Washington State over Gonzaga, four to two. And then Oregon and has Oregon a three run lead going to the bottom of the ninth, and Riley and the Pilots runs. get four. Four runs in the bottom of the ninth with one out. So they couldn't close it. In fact, they gave up a couple of runs in the sixth inning, too, to let Portland back in it. Then they took the three run lead and gave that up with one out in the bottom of the ninth inning. It was a wild Tuesday night. So that's why. I don't know how you feel as a fan, if you were at the game, if you watched or listened, if you have any thoughts about it, feel free to jump in. But it says here on the sheet I'm reading that, uh, and what is it? Oh, that was a good win for the Beavers, it says here. <laughs> and it was. Even if it was by comparison to conference wins and yeah. high drama and excitement around some of the wins lately in league, just to win on a Tuesday. You don't take it for granted. No. I remember even in the 2006 season when the Beavers won it all. They lost to the Portland Pilots at Goss. 20-13. to 13. Yeah. So strange things can happen on Tuesday games through the years. Well, and there was, was it uh, the game against Nevada earlier this year? Wasn't a good one. And um, that was when the Beavers weren't playing as well. Right. Now, they're playing great baseball. They needed to come up with a... Um, a routine win, if you will. But six runs is pretty good mm-hmm. before going into a huge weekend with the league leaders at Arizona State. Absolutely. So if you have any thoughts on any of these matters, feel free to jump in. 497-5356, the Downward Dog phone line, the University Honda text line. And thank you for your participation in the Forks and Corks catering poll question from yesterday. 1613, you say, bring on the ABS. And now it says 1614. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, we can keep that running forever. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else up there, Johnny, before we take a break? Well, let me get okay. back to it. Okay. Uh, out of the poll and let's see. Um, if you have any thoughts about last night's game, we hope you uh, have had a chance to mm-hmm. listen to the Beaver Sports oh. <laughs> Podcast. The Beaver Sports uh, Podcast with Jonathan Smith is now up and available getting ready for the spring showcase Saturday. What you got? I, I laugh because this happens to me personally, and now it happened to you and me yesterday. 
This happens all the time. And if we've got a great show with great guests and everybody loves it, you're gonna, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, and there are going to be those who point that out to us as well, but that's okay. Uh, Amy writes in to say, seriously, no poll results? Laugh out loud. <laughs> you led with it at 11 a.m. Yeah. We'll have to wait uh, overnight then. I laugh at that because, Amy, you are right. We flat out forgot about it. Near we, the end of the show. And you yesterday. said to me when we got yeah. off there, oh, oh, we forgot right. to do the thing. We'll have to lead with it. So we did. And uh, yep. we got the Sorry polling. about that, Amy. But no, that's that's funny. And um, let's see here. We've got went, went with no. Tough call, to be honest. Feel like it's inevitable that baseball will go to a computer deciding balls and strikes, but fear it would make the game less interesting to watch. Part of the fun is yelling at the umpires that made a bad call. Rod Porsche. I, I agree. I, I absolutely agree with that. It takes the fun out of it. The, and it sure would quiet things at Goss Stadium. It, well, because the thing about our fans, the best fans in the conference without question, the most engaged fans, when Roger Angel said baseball is the most intensely watched game, I think he's talking about fans at Goss. Every pitch. There was a fan last night. I was. I don't know if you could hear him in the background. He was every batter that would come to the plate, every pitch that Thorstenson or AJ or Nelson or whomever was throwing it. There was a guy on every pitch in the stands. I don't know where he was sitting. We have a crowd mic that's kind of in there somewhere behind home plate. But the guy, well, uh, come on, Travis, let's go now. Mm-hmm. You know, come on, let's get a base hit here. Let's move the runner. Come on, Micah. Good pitch, Justin. Throw a strike here. Now, I mean, this was a fan on every pitch and mm-hmm. a comment of some kind. Whoever that person is was, thank you. That's the type of fanship you love to have because that shows the thoroughgoing engagement. And after each pitch, there's a either it silences the is the great answer from Beaver Nation. If there's nothing, no booze, no cheers, no jeers, that means the umpire probably got it right and there isn't a great deal of controversy here. But if it's a borderline pitch at all, oh, my goodness, Johnny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fans are just, come on now. Yeah. You can just hear the murmurings in the background. Bring on the ABS. What, are you going to direct your wrath upstairs? To, you know, are you going to yell at the computer? How much, As uh, Sam Neill says in Jurassic Park, how much fun is there in that? Yeah, I, I agree. You know what I'm saying? And, and to the umpires, because there will be no lag time, I don't think that's an issue. We'll, we'll miss the Ron Luciano, Emmett Ashford, uh, Dutch Rennert, hijinks and actions as umpire. No, we, can you imagine a guy getting the computerized version, strike, and then going into his routine like he, like <laughs> Leslie Nielsen, calling him out, and the computer told him, and yet he's still engaging in strike three, you know, doing a moonwalk and dancing That would be weird because it's not coming from him. It's not coming from him. But he's manufacturing that. He could. So that would have to go away because everybody would know. what are you doing? You didn't make the call. Yeah, you didn't make that call. Why are you so so into it? (laughs) But maybe he would still give us the theater because he is relaying the message that he's getting. I like him doing the ring up and the the whole thing. I know. I don't like it when... The ring-up shows their partiality well, yeah. toward another team. Dave Libby making a call. Yeah. People I mean, would get on Libby, and I would just see him, okay, watch this. And then really go yeah, dramatic. Yeah, just dramatic in the call. That's a charge, yeah, and we're going yeah. the other way. Like, I'll show take you. Take that. Yeah, take that. Yeah, I hate it when Ooh. they do that. 
And don't. Well, he wouldn't say take that, but he would say it. He says it with in body other language. Way. Body okay, language. we'll come back. <laughs> OSU alum Stephen Wagner next on the speech. Joining us from Southeast Pennsylvania. Before we go, Johnny, let's play both of these going into break. It is Lou Gehrig himself first, followed up by the 1942 MGM version with Gary Cooper. First baseman Lou Gehrig hung up an amazing mark by playing in 2,130 consecutive games. Then a fatal disease attacked baseball's Iron Man. In Yankee Stadium, touched to tears by the tribute, Gehrig made his last public appearance. For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as a standing in uniform in this ballpark today? mother and father who fought to give me health and a solid background in my I have a wife a companion for life who has shown me more courage than I ever People all say that I've had a bad break. But today, today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. The Peacock Bar and Grill is making eating out affordable with a 650 specials from 11 till 9 every day of the week. On Monday, it's a small sirloin steak dinner. Tuesday, any pub-sized burger on the menu. Wednesday, it's beef stroganoff. Thursday, it's spaghetti and meatballs. Friday is a French dip. Saturday, pulled pork sliders. And Sunday, it's penne mac and cheese. You can always call ahead and get it to go or have it delivered. The Peacock Bar and Grill, a local favorite since 1929 on 2nd Street, downtown Corvallis. He shifts Bucky Irving 1-0. to zero. They just did get the snap. Hi, this is James Orr of the defensive lineman of the Pac-12's number one defense, the Oregon State Beavers. Ongoing visits to rejuvenation for cryotherapy treatments has provided me with long-lasting muscle and joint recovery, sharpens my mental focus, and elevate the endurance needed for me to perform at the highest level on game days. Go to rejuvenationcorvallis.com to book your appointments today so you are always at your best. Go Beavs. He's going for it, and the Beavers get home and sack him back at the 44. James Rawls. Equipped from front to rear with industry-leading, easy-to-use features, Kubota B-Series tractors are the total package. With high horsepower and excellent durability and implements that easily attach and detach, Kubota B-Series tractors can do anything in any season. See Lynn Benton Tractor and Tangent or go to KubotaUSA.com for more information. Since 2016, Patrick Lumber Manufacturing has been serving the Northwest with steady and quality employment. Patrick Lumber Manufacturing in Philomath has summer and long-term job opportunities with competitive wages, benefits, and matching 401k. To be a candidate, 
Call 541-929-4717. Again, that's 541-929-4717. And join a great family business at Patrick Lumber Manufacturing in Philomath. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation change? Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. When we work together, we'll focus on what's important to you. We'll use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And we'll partner to help your strategy stay on track. Contact me today, 541-758-8245. Edward Jones, member SIPC. If you're fed up with dirty grout lines, maybe it's time to consider Cultured Marble. Hi, I'm Katie Albin at Albin's Plumbing in Corvallis. Cultured Marble is an affordable way to get the look of marble, and the best part is no grout lines, affordable and easy to maintain. Come by our showroom on 9th Street in Corvallis and see the beautiful look of cultured marble. At Alvin's Plumbing, plumbing's all we do. Call 754-8282, Alvin's Plumbing. Stargazer Premier Florist in Corvallis knows that flowers are a beautiful way to make mothers feel loved and appreciated. And they want to help deliver them the best arrangement possible. Choose from Stargazer's wide selection of Mother's Day flower arrangements, plants, and baskets, and they'll deliver a beautiful, unique gift right on time to the mothers in your life. Stop in, call, or view Stargazer's selection of Mother's Day arrangements online at StargazersPremierFlorist.com. Stargazer's Premier Florist, located at 925 Northwest Circle Boulevard in Corvallis. In Corvallis, and that may even be how Stephen K. Wagner would pronounce it as he remembers his days Mm -hmm. as an Oregon State student. He has worked as a freelance journalist since 1989, had a long career in the newspaper industry, beginning right up the road from here, perhaps, and I don't know exactly where it began, maybe the barometer, who knows, but Mm -hmm. the Monmouth Sun Enterprise, the Oregon City Enterprise Courier, the Portland Daily Journal of Commerce, has been uh, an editor at the Oregonian, has contributed to the L.A. Times, the New York Times, uh, the United Press International a distinguished career in that world, and now a freelance journalist and author, author of five books, which I enumerated earlier in the show. And we were put on to Stephen Wagner, class of 75 at Oregon State, by Dave from Tumwater, who noticed, as I did too, in my mm-hmm. copy of the Oregon Stater, in print books by Oregon State alums, Bronx Epitaph, the latest book from Stephen K. Wagner, Bronx Epitaph, How Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man's Speech Defined the Yankee Legend from the SUNY Press, the State State University of New York Press. It's a pleasure to welcome Stephen Wagner to the Joe Beaver Show today from Southeast Pennsylvania. Stephen, thanks for your time. Thanks for the book. How are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. It's great to be with you guys. Well, thanks for taking time for us. This is your fifth book. We're going to talk about the others in a moment. But what is the upshot here of what you, why you kind of got onto a path to write about what's been described as the Gettysburg Address of baseball, Lou Gehrig's farewell speech? Well, I've always been intrigued by the speech. Here you've got a guy in the prime of life who at that time was one of the great ball players ever, um, you know, a a great physical specimen, a nice guy. Everybody liked him. Everybody loved him. And all of a sudden, he's got this terminal illness, and his numbers are falling off, and he can't hit a baseball, and he stumbles around when balls are hit to him. And 
people are scratching their heads and wondering what's going on with him. And I, it intrigued me, and I decided to look into the speech a little bit and um, see what was out there. And I um, was curious to learn that only four sentences from the speech actually were captured on tape or remain, remain in existence today. And I thought that was curious. Uh, so I went back and did some research, and uh, sure enough, that's, that's all that exists. The, the speech that you find online um, was largely compiled from newspaper accounts of the day, and each account varies a little bit. Um, and that kind of bothered me a little bit. I wanted to um, find as accurate, as accurate a speech as I could come up with, so I I started going through old newspapers from uh, the 1930s and comparing quotes from newspaper to newspaper and um, looking at specific words that were used and trying to determine, determine whether uh, Gehrig's would use that kind of language. And eventually, eventually I came up with a speech that varied a little bit from um, what you might find online, but was not too much different. So that's kind of uh, how I approached it and how I came up with the idea. Stephen, do, does your book then contain, and I've not seen the book, I just learned of its existence a couple of days ago, do you have then in your book what you have pieced together as you think this may be as close as to what he may have said on July 4th, 1939? I do. I actually go through it line by line um, in the process, and I talk about, I actually compare quotes from different reporters, and I talk about why certain wording was selected and why certain wording was uh, was thrown out. Um, so I, I feel like it's a pretty accurate uh, recollection of what he said that day. Oregon State alumnus and author Stephen K. Wagner joining us talking about Bronx Epitaph, how Lou Gehrig's luckiest man's speech to find the Yankee legend. How much stock do you put in the tale told Richard Sandermere told it that Eleanor Twitchell, Lou's widow, sent what she remembered to Sam Goldwyn. MGM made the film Pride of the Yankees and said, this is what we, Lou and I, worked on the night before the speech. Do, is that a, do you accept that anecdotally as, as generally accurate and the version we see in Pride of the Yankees being fairly close to what he delivered on July 4th of 39? You know, it's funny. I purposely did not watched the movie. I, I saw it years ago, but I purposefully did not watch it um, as I was working on the book. I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want what I wrote to be tainted at all. Mm -hmm. um, in my research, I saw reports that Garrigan and his wife worked on a speech the night before um, he appeared at Yankee Stadium. But if you watch the, if you watch the minimal footage that exists, he's not working from a speech. He's mm -hmm. um, speaking from the heart and not using notes at all. So I'm not sure, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood, and I, I, I suppose um, what's in the movie is somewhat accurate, probably some of it's not accurate. Okay. You know, the line, I, I will give Hollywood, I mean, Hollywood's always going to take liberties to try to tell their story. Gary Cooper was magnificent as Lou Gehrig. I mean, I, 
I think I start, I hope we would all agree, he was a great choice to play this gentlemanly, well-loved character. And Gary delivers that version of the speech very well to the point that apparently Eleanor Twitchell, watching it being filmed on an MGM lot, burst into tears over as as Gary Cooper's giving Mm -hmm. the speech that her husband had given three years earlier. That's fascinating in its own right. But the line, the greatest line ever in any speech, maybe ever, uh, with apologies to Abraham Lincoln, the greatest line ever, today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. We just played it a few minutes ago before you came on, Stephen. And Mm -hmm. it never fails to move. What an incredible, if that's ad-libbed and impromptu, that's one of the great lines ever uttered. I got to agree with you. That's, that, you know, kind of makes me choke up, too, when I hear it. And I've, I've listened to that speech so many times and putting the, the book together. It's just such a touching thing to say when you consider that, you know, he's losing everything at the moment he's saying that. He's losing his career. He's losing the camaraderie of his fellow ball players. Um, you know, he, he's losing his health and Ultimately, he'll, he'll lose his life to this disease, and here he is proclaiming himself lucky. And I think that's such an important thing, and, and I guess a lesson for all of us that, um, you know, we're all going to die someday. Uh, that's going to be a snippet of our life, you know, and our, presumably our lives um, will all count for something, and we'll have a lot of good in our lives right up until the end. But uh, I guess you can't take the end and let it color all the good things that happened in your life. And Garrett certainly didn't allow it to do that. Mm-hmm. Stephen, did you find that another thing that I find moving about accounts I've read of the speech that he began with fans? Is that accurate? Did he say is he addressing fans? And from there, does he indeed give thanks even to the writers up in the press box, to his teammates, managers, all of that? What, what I've read about the beauty of the speech, not only the famous line that we all remember, but that it was a, a touching tribute and giving of thanks to fans and, and people all around him in the game. Did you find that to be true? Yes, he, uh, he actually addressed the speech to fans. And in the speech, he thanked, excuse me, he thanked the uh, concessionaires and, and um, sports writers, um, he thanked specific people. He thanked his wife, his parents, uh, his two managers, Joe McCarthy, uh, the most recent one. He thanked the owner. He thanked the general manager. Um, he even thanked the New York Giants. The only team he thanked in the, um, or that he acknowledged in the speech was the New York Giants. And um, that was curious because John McGraw, he, he had tried out for the Giants as a uh, young college kid, and John McGraw was very critical of him and did not sign him. And um, here he is in his famous speech thanking the Giants and acknowledging them. Uh, That that may have been his way of saying all is forgiven, Mm -hmm. you know, and why you passed on me. Stephen Wagner, our guest here on The Joe Beaver Show. In putting all the the research together and diving into this topic, outside of the speech itself, did you come up with things that you didn't know or were very interested in that that jumped out at you about Gehrig, about that time in in, uh, in 1939 Yankees baseball? Well, 
Well, certainly the, the final year was um, um, offensively uh, kind of a disaster for him. I think he hit 140, 142. Um, but prior to that, he was just a a beloved guy. He'd come home from a ball game and play baseball in the streets with the children in the neighborhood. Um, you know, everybody loved him. Um, he was just a good, good guy. He reminds me a lot of Steve Garvey when he was playing for the Dodgers. You know, nice guy, squeaky clean. People respected him. People loved him. Jared was the same way. Uh, I didn't find too many surprises in that regard. I, I knew he was a, a good guy going in, or at least I believed he was. And I certainly wasn't disappointed in that regard. Stephen K. Wagner joining us, the author of Bronx Epitaph, How Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man's Speech Defined the Yankee Legend. Stephen, did you take up within the speech itself the the Babe Ruth part of it and the feud that uh, he and Lou were in and... and was that also at the embrace that Babe gave? Was that Babe, play, Babe playing to the cameras? Was Lou touched by Babe hugging him? Or do you get do you get into that at all? They had uh, Ruth and Jerry had actually been estranged the last uh, mm-hmm. four or five years prior to that day, and uh, were not really speaking. There had been some issues in their lives that caused them to drift apart, um, and. It, it wasn't really known whether uh, Ruth would show up that day or not. He had left the Yankees several years earlier. and um, But at the last minute, he came walking through the stands and out onto the field and embraced Garrett. I feel like it was heartfelt. Um, Ruth had to know what was going on, as did pretty much everybody else. And I think at that point, he didn't want their... Uh, lives to go any further without at least some sort of a reconciliation. Whether it was a reconciliation that lasted um, beyond that date is is not really certain. What is known is that once Herod passed away, Ruth and his wife were among the first to show up at their their home and Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, those two are the two greatest Yankees ever. DiMaggio and yes. Mantle, notwithstanding, those two are the greatest Yankees ever. And, Absolutely. you know, do you, I don't know, as a long baseball historian, do you concur with that statement? I'm talking about DiMaggio and Mantle, but I still put Ruth and Gehrig in a slightly higher echelon. Do you? I do, too. Yeah. You know, obviously, Ruth's numbers are astronomical. Um Gehrig's numbers were not as good, but he didn't he didn't have a complete career. He played the 1938 season. I think he was in his mid-30s at that point. And, and although people believe he was suffering the effects of the disease at that time, he still hit just under 300 and hammered out a lot of home runs, and I think he had 125 RBI. And this, you know, this from a guy who was really starting to lose his um, mm-hmm. mobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he probably would have played a number of years beyond that. He may have had around 600 home runs. Right. But, uh, you know, Ruth and Garrett were just giants, I think, and mm-hmm. no other personalities have come along, come along to 
to supersede that, I don't think. Yeah. Stephen, we don't have time today to talk about your other books. I find all of them interesting and researching a little bit about you. So I'm hoping we can talk again. I want to close with a thought about how you, a young man from Southern California, ended up up here at Oregon State to close today. But I'd love to visit with you again down the road about the Four Home Runs Club, John Peshork's greatest one-game wonder in 1963, game one. This is where I disagree with you. I've already said it on the air. I disagree with Stephen Wagner about something. What? <laughs> you said the greatest home run. I still think Bobby Thompson's tops Gibson's as the greatest home run in the history of the game with Gibby, sure. Gibby right there. But this is a discussion for another time. So can you join us again someday to talk about all your other books? It sounds like you, you've had a deep and abiding love for baseball all your life. I have, and I'd love to talk with you again. Uh, anytime, just uh, okay. let me know convenient. We'll get together. But tell, tell us. I mean, we found this in the Oregon Stater that you've written Bronx Epitaph about Lou's speech. So right. how did you, out of Southern California, how did you end up at Oregon State, and how was your experience here, and when were you here? Well, I was there from 1971 to 1975. Um, as you mentioned, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I think um, by age 18, I was kind of ready to get into a different environment. And um, I had heard about Oregon State's uh, 1967 3 football victory <laughs> over okay. uh, USB, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really cool. And I, I, I just thought I wanted to get someplace where there was a little bit of athletic excitement and a, a different climate. Uh, so I, I headed up north and studied journalism. Uh, wrote for the Barometer, the Oregon State Barometer. Love Corvallis, one of our favorite cities still. Um, Oregon State was just a wonderful experience. It's a great university, um, a lot of history, a lot of great sports history, as you know. Um, and I haven't regretted a minute of attending there. Isn't it amazing that the games, these games that we go to and attend and watch and read about can affect us? So you... In 1967, 3-0, Giant Killers, that exerted enough fascination when it came. <laughs> that was not the only reason, but it played a part. I like that. I like that. Isn't it amazing, Stephen, about how these games can have an everlasting effect? Absolutely. And there's another story I'll tell you briefly. Um, in my junior high school um, athletic award ceremony, an Oregon Stater from my high school, Tracy Smith, a great Olympian, uh, spoke to the kids, and that had an effect on me too. I think here's another guy who ran the 10,000 meters in the 1968 Olympics. Um, also went to Oregon State. And I just thought that was that was cool too. You know, there's just a great history um, at Oregon State, and I think I just wanted to be in some small way a part of that history. Dick Fosbury, too. We can't forget Dick. I don't know if you went to any meets and ever saw him, but you're right. There's a great athletic lore here. But you grew up in uh, Southern California. Well, next time we have you on, Stephen, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the the book Seinsoth, The Rough and Tumble Life of a Dodger. I, I did not know Bill Seinsoth's story at all, and I just did a Beaver USC baseball series where I was talking about the 58, 61, 63, 68 70 through 74 national championship teams. I did not know his story at all. 
uh, you have done a great service by writing a book about a true legend who we lost at the age of 22. I want to talk to you about that down the road. We're out of time today, but thank you for making time, Stephen, and I hope we will touch base again soon this spring sometime. Good luck with the book and hope that uh, it draws attention to a tremendous event in sports in American history, July 4th of 39. Thanks for taking time for us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pleasure being with you. Thank you. Stephen K. Wagner, Bronx Epitaph, How Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man Speech to find the Yankee legend. A lot to unpack there, and his other books, too. We'll do it again down the road, 1240 Joe Radio. The Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies, including Safeco Insurance. If you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see Mike Eves, Taylor Starr, or Tom Worth. They'll help you find an insurance plan that works best for you. Call 541-757-1315 or stop by at 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. The Unified Insurance Group, your hometown team, always putting you first. Get a jump on your spring project with Mike's Corvallis Bargain Center. Now with new cedar decking in stock as well as cedar garden boxes. 2x12 rough cut western red cedar. Mike's Corvallis Bargain Center also has interior and exterior plywood. Blue pine, TG, shiplap pine, S4S dimensional pine, and domestic, exotic, and live edge hardwood currently in stock. Complete your next interior or exterior project with help from Mike's Corvallis Bargain Center. Conveniently located off Highway 34 on Texas Street between Albany and Corvallis. Futon Man isn't just about futons anymore. In addition to futons, futon frames, and covers, Futon Man now also carries platform beds, bunk beds, and can even make custom mattresses for your RV. So if you're expecting out-of-town guests and you're not sure where they're going to sleep, you could head on a bedroom to the house, or an easier solution would be to stop by Futon Man. Two miles north of Corvallis on Highway 99 or online at futon-man.com. What happens when you're voted the best new car dealership and the best used car dealership in the Mid-Willamette Valley? Do you gloat about it? Or do you just simply say the complete redesigned CRV, HRV, Civic, Pilot, and Accords are now at Power Honda in Albany off of San Am Highway for you to take a test drive? I think you do both. And for more information, go to mypowerhonda.com. That's mypowerhonda.com. Why is Woodstock's Pizza all kinds of pizza for all kinds of people? Because no matter who you are or where you're from, you can create the perfect pizza at Woodstock's. So you can choose from over 35 fresh toppings, four made fresh daily crust options, several cheese options, including vegan and dairy-free, and six sauce options, including vegan and dairy-free, all to go along with your choice of dine-in, takeout, or delivery to most of Corvallis. So Woodstock's Pizza is all kinds of pizza for all kinds of people. Woodstock's Pizza, Kings Boulevard in Corvallis. Have you been putting off that home remodeling project? Have you decided that this is the year to get it done? For nearly 35 years, people in the Mid-Valley have been going to Corvallis Floor Covering. Stop by and browse through their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, countertops, window coverings, and wood and luxury vinyl flooring from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown or at CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local. Shop Corvallis Floor Covering. Leading off this inning for your tax and wealth management team is David Mendenhall. 
Betting second, Bill Heck. And betting third, Robert Berry. It's always important to have a talented lineup. The same is true if you need some advice on personal or business tax planning or just some help with financial strategy. With over 40 years in business, tax and wealth management has the experience you need to hit that home run. Call or stop by Tax and Wealth Management in Corvallis, your hometown tax team, and start your journey on the road to success. Okay, I two minutes. I am you and I are bad. By the way, I, our, our poll real yeah. quick is now eighteen to fifteen with the nos or the yeses. Still, yeah, yeah, you still have the lead. Bring on yeah. the ABS. Yeah, I feel chagrined, I, embarrassed. I don't know what to say, John. I don't even because in the midst of that conversation, he brings up a name, and yeah. you'll know who we're talking about if you were listening carefully. All these years that we've been around here. I feel ashamed to say, based on what he said and what you have subsequently during that commercial break found on Tracy Smith. Okay, I I, I've ne- I did not know anything about his achievements here. Or, or Well, I finally found the connection between Oregon State and what he did. First of all, he was a number one ranked uh, runner at 5,000, 10,000, uh, 10, and what was the other one? S- several times. The three mile? Or- yeah, as, a, as an athlete. But while reading on the Wikipedia yeah. page, there was no connection. It said he went to Oregon State. Right. And then, okay, but you dig deeper into, like, the lower, uh, we have yeah. 60 seconds, yeah. the lower uh, bracket. Smith graduated from Arcadia High School in 63 and attended Oregon State University, finishing sixth in the three-mile at the 65 NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships. The following season, he finished second to rival Lindgren, now of Washington State University. Yeah. They had a, a, a deal before that over a six-mile course. In 2911 at the 66 NCAA Cross Country Championship, he left Oregon State because he found the Oregon State track workouts to be too stifling. Okay, so There's maybe a lot this is there. why. There's a lot this there. This is why he left and thus isn't spoken of in the same hallowed terms as some of the athletes. But in terms of being a decorated athlete and making an impact on our previous guest, because he went to Oregon State. And spoke to us, and that inspired me, as did 3 nothing. The connections in this sporting life are interesting. You guys have a great time. Mariners next. They're in position to try to go for it here. And they and will, Joe and it's an option. And Nix is tackled short of the first down. Hi, this is Ryan Cooper, Jr., defensive back for Oregon State Beavers. We earned the leader of the pack by playing fast and playing together. You could be a leader by committing to Damn Nation to help all Oregon State athletes prepare for their future. Go to damnnationcollective.com to give today. Be a leader of the pack together. Go Beavs. And Oregon goes for it inside the 30. And it's Oregon State football at the Oregon 28. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio. 